Welcome to the Rachel Does Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel, professional helper, advocate for self-love, and fellow human being. On this week's episode of the podcast, I invited Danae Hand, a fellow MFT, to talk about self-care, women's health, and to share her story about fertility. But before you listen, a quick disclaimer. While the topics on the podcast may be therapeutic in nature, the podcast is not a substitute for therapy. So what's uh, something that you've done this week to take care of yourself? I know it's, well, today's Thursday, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, have you, what have you been doing? Um, well, yesterday, I only had one client, but I went and sat, like I was doing some some work for um, trying to, to do stuff that was helpful for therapy, um, going through like these... Um, training modules and that kind of thing. So in between finishing up that and seeing my client, I just went and sat in my car for like 30 minutes and just let my brain wander. Yeah. It's just like, I need some time to just have my brain be free. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you definitely have to do that because I feel like um, just remembering like my time in school when you're in that place where it's like, okay, I have to do this assignment and that assignment, get to this placement and that placement. And I still have like a whole like personal life. Mm-hmm. It can be hard to remember to schedule that time to just, okay, mind, you can go do whatever you want and I'm just going to let you do it and, and, and relax and not yeah. try to think about everything else I have to do. Right. And I think it's kind of been a learning process of like, what is it that makes me feel relaxed so that I'm not so stressed out and I've kind of had to think about it for a while and I think it's just taking time to kind of be in nature for me it's like looking at at trees and clouds and stuff like that it just like reorients me to feel comfortable or like be relaxed so yeah having that time to do that is helpful yeah Yeah. I was gonna say I can see like the trees behind you probably really relaxing it is. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Right now I have like my um, door to like the backyard open. So it's like got all the nature going with us. I love it. Yeah. It's very centering. Yeah. As long as you don't have allergies right now. I have allergies. <laughs> I stop sneezing for the time being, but I still need to take my allergy pill. I keep forgetting. I was like, oh, I need to do that. I haven't done it. Yeah, yeah. What about you? What do you do? Um, for this week, gosh. Um, well, I guess I I've been. Uh, yesterday it was about setting boundaries with work and with clients. Today is more um, making sure that I get everything else done so that I can have the rest of the afternoon free because I had made plans um, with another friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was like, you know what, we're just going to do that because I haven't seen her in a while. Um, And actually she's calling me, so I'm going (laughs) to let her know that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, she, uh, no, I'm done. Okay. 
Yeah, I can't multitask. Um, I used to think that I was like really good at multitasking. And I, and I feel like I, I was to a certain extent when I was younger, but now as I'm practicing mindfulness, um, I realize that I can do like one thing at a time very well and focus. Mm-hmm. And then if I try to do more than that, I'm like that chicken with its head cut off again. Right. So, um, but yeah, so I'm trying to get all of my clinical work done so then um, I don't have to think about it until tomorrow when I go back into work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can just focus on spending time with her because, yeah, I, I mean, it's been, yeah, it's been months since I've seen her, like maybe eight months. <laughs> so, that's you know. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my self-care um, for, the, for the day. Um, yeah. So um, let's get started with our topic. So with um, Mental Health Awareness Month, are there any things that always kind of jump to your mind when it comes around? Like when when it's when it's May, you're just like, okay, I already advocate for like mental health year round, but like in May, I'm really advocating. Like I'm telling everyone, and this is this is what like I, what I'm most passionate about. You're most passionate about advocating for mental health. No, I'm at, I'm at, oh, asking me, me. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess when, when I think of mental health, anxiety comes mm-hmm. up for me because it, like I, I struggle with it and then people in my family struggle with it. So it's just something that's like already part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe like self care and mindfulness kind of pops up. I, I think that's kind of, been something I've learning, been learning more about throughout the program, but um, just kind of seeing how it's helpful, um, yeah. and it helps me to be more patient with myself and other people who I know struggle with anxiety. So, because I know sometimes for me, anxiety can tend to make me like uptight and angry. So I kind of need that chill out moment mm-hmm. to regroup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely relate to that because I, I experience anxiety as well. Yeah. So I think that, um, as you were saying that something that I, I, I've been thinking about, um, is, you know, this idea of like being someone who has, not, I don't like men- the word illness when we're talking about mental health, like mental health state mm-hmm. or, you know, but when you are in that heightened mental health state, I feel like if you're very high functioning, it's almost like an invisible thing. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, you know, they're able to still get up and do X, Y, and Z, so they're fine. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like, you're trying to fight the anxiety. You're trying to fight the depression. You're trying to fight, you know, what, what other, whatever other mental um health stuff that you may have going on and people don't always think about you know just because someone seems like they're put together on the outside inside they're kind of dealing with a lot right right do you so you said that you have people um in your family who also struggle with anxiety has it helped being in this field like making helping them make sense of it or even having those conversations about mental health um, at times, I think it, it gives me 
a better understanding of how to talk to them um, mm-hmm. and kind of make sure that I slow down and, and take the time, especially my kids. Um, just making sure that I'm present with them in the moment rather than pushing them off and saying, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Um, mm-hmm. They're still more important than the schoolwork I need to do. And I need to let them know that they are important. And I think sometimes just giving them the space to talk about it helps them feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it doesn't make it just go away, but knowing that you know I care and, and we can talk about it and listen to them, then I think, sometimes that helps them feel better even just for a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that um, that's a really good point that you made because a lot of times um, I feel like there's this feeling of um, like awkwardness or feeling uncomfortable by having certain conversations, even if you notice someone seems to be going through something, but simply just like creating the space to have the conversation and then not necessarily like trying to make it better. Just like giving them that opportunity, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it still can be difficult at times, obviously, because I I am the parent and then I've got that whole dynamic to it so and I still get frustrated and don't always do it perfect but Mm -hmm. just being aware of it um and then like making um my writing my wrongs whenever I do you know maybe just a little impatient or don't give my kids the time that they need then I can go and apologize for that and Mm -hmm. That's important as well. Even even when you make mistakes, it's okay to come back and say sorry for that. So, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree, um, and I think being able to acknowledge that you make mistakes and can go back and say you're sorry means that you you're already like doing the hard work of admitting that you're human. Right. <laughs> like I I feel like um, a lot of times you know we part of why we and I keep saying we as if like everyone's like this but but you know like a lot of people I think tend to find it difficult sometimes to say that they're sorry or to be vulnerable or you know just be like hey like I'm you know like I messed up or I'm going through a hard time um yeah it can it can be hard to do that sometimes but the more that you do it the better you feel I think Yeah, and it gets easier, too, when you do it more often, so, Mm -hmm. and I think it gives other people the permission to to do that as well, like, okay, they did that, so it's okay for me to admit when I'm wrong, too, Mm -hmm. they're not going to get upset with me when I make mistakes, because I'm human, too, I'm going to make mistakes. Yeah, 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 so I wanted to kind of get more into uh, one of the topics that you said that you were interested in. And then I was like reading it over and I was like, gosh, it's been so long since I watched (laughs) that video Um, because we had talked about uh, uh, the Red Table Talk um, that happened with Ellen Pompeo from Grey's Anatomy. And they were talking about like, I think they they were talking about like white privilege and uh, not mistaking confidence for arrogance and we had talked about talking about that today and I was like I don't even remember what all was said in the video I don't think I've ever seen that video maybe I should watch it 
Okay. All right. So that would be like another podcast. So there's, so there's two videos that um, we can like go back and watch and then talk about. So the first is that red table talk, which mm-hmm. is on Facebook, but there's okay. probably like clips of it, like on YouTube or like somewhere floating around on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another one um, that I thought was really interesting that it was Ellen Pompeo, Gabrielle Union, Emma Roberts, and Gina Rodriguez. And they were talking about women's equality, like in terms of uh, pay gaps. And it was kind of cool to see like all of the different perspectives, um, especially because I know that there was a lot of, um, not contra. I don't know if it was controversy necessarily because I didn't follow it that closely, but um, with Ellen getting like a $20 million deal for like Grey's Anatomy and her struggle to kind of one, make sure that she was asking for what she deserved, but also like creating space for other voices that may not have that opportunity as Mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. So those are like two videos that we can watch and like talk about because I think I was like, oh, this is so fascinating, but it's been so long Mm -hmm. since I watched it. Um, so, but, um, what other topics, um, are kind of, I like to say, like, what, 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 um, what are the things that make you want to get on your soapbox about? Um, I mean, I think some of the, the topics that you had listed that were in, of interest to me, um, I mean, marriage and family, I think mm-hmm. you met, you listed fertility issues and mm-hmm. like and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I come at it more from a personal perspective. Like th- those are things I've experienced. So from, from that standpoint, maybe I have a different perspective than from like a, a therapeutic point of view, but um, having gone through some of those things myself, I feel like it helps me be a better therapist. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't always have to experience something to, to be a good therapist. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it just gives me a different point of view and hopefully helps me empathize a little more with, with clients who have experienced different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are, is there a particular example that you would like to share from like your personal experience? I can get sure. a better understanding. Um, so I have had four miscarriages and mm-hmm. that it wasn't something I'm looking back on my life and like how you envision marriage mm-hmm. and, and like your childbearing years. It wasn't something I ever envisioned myself have having, I, I didn't expect myself to have to go through like four miscarriages. Right. Um, and, and it felt very lonely and isolating when I did Mm -hmm. and people's responses were just, it made it worse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and, and and miscarriage is actually very common, but it's just not something you talk about very often with like older women or people your same age. It's just not like, I just didn't realize it was so common and that like when it happened, people, then people told me, oh yeah, I've had a miscarriage. I've had a miscarriage. And it just, it, it seems like if it's so normal, why is it norm? Why is it not normalized? Why do we not talk about it more? Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. 
just the whole experience of of being so like depressed by it like I didn't think it would impact me emotionally mm-hmm. as much as it did mm-hmm. um, and then just the the responses of people I didn't think that people would respond that the, the way that they did so mm-hmm. just yeah. it's interesting yeah 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 and that can be a really difficult um conversation to have just because like you said like even though it's so common we haven't normalized it no one is talking about it as much mm-hmm. um you know, and i guess it i, I mean I, I guess it has to go back to the fact that when it comes to women's bodies you know there's there's so much that for some reason it's like taboo still mm-hmm. to talk yeah. about yeah, so we're like taking our human sexuality class right now, and one of my um, cohort mentioned that she said the word pregnant in front of her grandmother, and her grandmother was like, took her aside, and she's like, don't say that word in front of your husband. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> so yeah. I can only imagine that, that uh, having a miscarriage is even more taboo, so you don't mm-hmm. talk about what happens with your body. Yeah, yeah. What was helpful for you um, in being able to learn to talk about it? Because um, I feel like as therapists and, and maybe, yeah, I feel like as therapists, because we're in this field, we're always like, yeah, like we just need to talk about it. We need to process it, you know? Mm-hmm. So what was helpful for you um, to kind of process some of that, you know, because you said like feelings of isolation and depression, mm-hmm. which which are common. Yeah. Um, I didn't, let's see how to, I didn't really talk about it too much while I was going through it. I think, mm-hmm. I think I was scared to ask for what I needed during that time. And I, I probably needed more support, but I didn't know how to ask for it. Um, so I think like after the fact, I processed it through Facebook. Like I wrote some really long posts about it and shared it. And people mm-hmm. responded like, oh, this is so helpful, and I had no idea. And, I mean, I guess in that way I was trying to normalize it because, I, for me, it's easier for me to express my thoughts by writing than, like, talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now that I've, I've done that and, and have talked to, about, talked to it about more people, I feel more comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of like the range of emotions that you can feel and like, it's normal to feel that way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's okay to express that you maybe just need to have somebody take you out and give you a hug or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's okay to ask for those things. Mm -hmm. And I just, I didn't know how to. So that was probably part of the reason why I felt like isolated. Yeah. Um, Are there certain things that you like maybe, call them like triggers or different thoughts or feelings that you have become more aware of so that you know when you're kind of feeling like oh okay kind of feeling like down or I'm kind of starting to feel like I want to isolate do you have any like signals or things that you kind of are like oh okay it's time for me to like reach out for help and here's who I can reach out for help I mean, not recently. I feel like it's been so far removed from me and I've kind of healed from that. So it's not really 
necessarily a trigger like it maybe yeah. was at one point. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe I'm, I'm surrounded by people now, so it's, it's easier for me to say something if I need to. I mean, that's, that's also something I'm still working on as like a self of the therapist thing. Like, I need <laughs> yeah. to learn how to ask for help. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, that's a good question. Um, yeah. How many years ago did this happen? I have four kids, so I've been pregnant eight times. Um, okay. I had my um, first two daughters, and then I had a miscarriage between my second and third daughter. Mm-hmm. And then after my third daughter, I had three consecutive miscarriages. So 2010, 2011, 2012, I had a miscarriage each year after that. Mm-hmm. So the last one was 2012. And then... I had my son in 2014, so that's kind of the background there. So the last one was in 2012, Mm -hmm. and there was just a lot going on during that time, too, which kind of complicated it. It just kind of made it feel even worse because there was just so much going on, and it was just a lot. And I was told that one really hit you hard, didn't it? Well, yeah, there was a lot going on. Yeah. so it um it also kind of sounds like so you were saying it is kind of far removed which it's about like seven seven years now so mm-hmm. I can understand that um how do you use that experience to kind of help you with clients who may have had miscarriages or even fertility other f- fertility issues I haven't had any that have had that experience yet um. Mm-hmm. But I think just kind of knowing what helped me get through it um, and knowing that it, like normalizing it, I think is helpful, but also just letting them know that, you know, that sucks. I know that that hurts a lot and I don't want to invalidate anyone's pain. Mm -hmm. So just kind of knowing that some people just trivialize what you're going through and I don't want to do that for anyone because... Mm -hmm each experience is unique, you know, and I know it can be painful. So Mm -hmm. I think just knowing that kind of helps me to validate what they're going through. Yeah. 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 I love the fact that um, you focus more on validating like what someone is going through or even validating like what you went through. Um, Cause you know, I feel like going back to that, idea when it comes to conversations about like women, certain conversations about women's bodies, we don't really think about, you know, well, what is the right thing to say or what is going to be more supportive to what, or even like more simply, what does that person need in that moment? Mm-hmm. We're just yeah. like, Oh, I feel uncomfortable. So I'm just going to say whatever comes to mind. Right. And yeah. I think that probably is a lot of what people do but sometimes there are no words. I mean, they're mm-hmm. there. And sometimes just saying that, like I have no words right now other than I'm yeah. so sorry, you know? Yeah. And sometimes like, that's all they need. Yeah. Just like being present and being genuine about, mm-hmm. you know, what your reaction is and not like just saying that and then moving on to the next thing. Right. Yeah. Um, you said that you also shared, um, 
a post like on Facebook, how did it feel after kind of sharing that? And then, you know, cause it's like once, once you've sent it, even if you like try to delete it, like someone could have seen it. What did you <laughs> it's feel? It's out there. <laughs> yeah. What'd you, what did you feel after um, posting it? Um, I mean, I think it was liberating in some ways. Um, but I think it also kind of made me angry too, I guess. Just um, maybe it was like my defense against all the people who had said things that I didn't think they should have said. Like, this is why I felt that way. So was, Maybe I put it out there a little in anger too, just feeling like misunderstood and maybe wanting to let people know what was really going on and why you shouldn't say certain things and that type of thing. But I mean, I, ha I have to give those people grace too, because I don't know that I would know what to say unless I had gone through that experience. You know, I probably would have been one of those people who said something that ends up hurting the person and not really realizing it. So, you know, I think we all just say things based on our own experiences and don't always realize how they land. But mm -hmm. that's, that's the humanity of it all. But it's also, um, I guess, making these conversations, just like what we're doing right now, putting it out there to help normalize it and also adding that level of compassion. Like, you know, um, you may not always know the right thing to say and, and you may say something that, you know, is very hurtful, but you know, being able to recognize that and then come back to that person and say, hey, you know, I know that you may not have said anything. And I kind of reflected back on this and realized that that could have come across really hurtful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's like, we're, we're very, we're, we're, we're able to be empathetic. You know, we, we can, we can see another person and like what they're going through and kind of put ourselves in their shoes. But I feel like when it comes to um, you know, like just showing that compassion portion, I feel like people think that empathy and compassion are the same mm -hmm. when they're not. Yeah. How would you describe, um, well, I, as, as, I, as I was about to say this, I was like, this is going to get like real, real clinical. I was like, so how would you describe the difference between empathy and compassion? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think it's important to make that um, distinction because they're, they're not, they're not the same. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I mean, yeah. Empathy. I mean, that you can kind of distinguish between empathy and sympathy too. Empathy is, is feeling with the person, not just, Oh, I'm sorry for you. It's like, I am feeling what you're feeling right now. Mm -hmm. And I know like, you're moved by whatever that person is experiencing. Um, and compassion, I think, is more similar to sympathy in that way and where you can feel sorry for someone without really moving you emotionally. I, I think I, that's kind of how I distinguish between the two. Mm -hmm. What would you say? <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, I definitely agree that empathy is more about feeling that feeling with the other person which mm -hmm. is why I think a lot of times um 
when people get like burnt out, especially like in the helping field, that's why, because they're feeling literally all of the feelings. Right. Um, and with compassion and sympathy, I think that is kind of like where they're similar in that you can be like, oh, like I feel sorry for you, but it's not necessary. But I think um, it's not necessarily that you're not moved by it. You're able to use, you know, your own like emotional intelligence almost to be like, oh, okay, like I recognize, you know, what I'm feeling in this moment. Maybe I am moved. Maybe I'm just like, oh, like I'm kind of, I'm moved, but not in a way that like I'm going to take that energy with me later. And I'm mm-hmm. still able to hold on to my sense of, you know, groundedness, but still be able to offer something to you in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that's the part that like sometimes we kind of uh, – just kind of drop the ball on, you know, or, or we don't give empathy at all. We just give the sympathy part where we're like, Oh, okay, I'm sorry for you. And then it's just kind of like, mm-hmm. well, okay. Right. Thanks. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't feel as validating. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't feel as validating. Um, so yeah. 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 Um, and I keep going back to the compassion portion, probably because that's like my, that that's what I'm passionate about. Like that's, like I, I, I think that's what I'm going to end up, you know, getting all of my certifications in, in one way or another. Um, because I really do think that that makes a difference in, you know, in all of these conversations that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just simply saying that, you know, acknowledge that you're human too and, I may, I may feel offended by what you say, but I'm still going to try to be present and then let you know that I'm offended. And hopefully like we can talk about it and process it together. Yeah. Um, And also have like the ability to recognize, you know, sometimes things aren't going to, you know, going back to what you said earlier, sometimes things aren't going to get better, but being able to validate that experience um, is helpful. So, you know, yeah. I feel like we just kind of therapized our conversation. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. What's, what's a therapy podcast without a little therapy? Right. <laughs> Was there anything else that you wanted to share about um, your experience or just like what we've talked about so far or if anything um, or if it sparked anything else that you were thinking about? One other thought I had was um, just how it impacted our family. It wasn't just an individual thing. It wasn't just this mm-hmm. is it's only impacting me. It was like the whole family was grieving because we all had expectations for, you know, those pregnancies. You know, we would share, oh, we're pregnant, and the kids would get excited, and then we'd have to share, oh, no, the baby, mm-hmm. the baby we lost the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't just like, Yes, it's my body, but also it was like a, a group event of mourning. So, and I, I still wonder, like, how did that long-term impact my my children? Like, mm-hmm. having to experience or talk about death at such a young age. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah, it impacted us all. Yeah. No, you're, you're definitely right. I think, and I think that's why um i love the fact that you know we're mfts like the family mm-hmm. is right there 
in it because we we really do have to think about, you know, something that happens to one person in the family affects everyone, even, you know, indirectly. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm, I'm sure just in our conversation and just, um, you know, me being more of a listener than a talker sometimes and things that I've heard you say, like in our like clinical meetings and stuff, I feel, I mean, I, I would imagine that you probably had some of, the same kind of, you know, empathy and compassion for them and probably explained it in a way um, that, you know, they may have had some sadness, but probably, they're probably going to be okay, you know? Like, you didn't pull the, okay, I'm not going to tell you, like, what's really gonna, going on. You're just, like, not going to see mom's belly, like, be big anymore, and then mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about it, that you probably right. it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that, and, and I think, I know that I was depressed for a while. <laughs> I just remember crying a lot, and I don't know, like, I always wonder, how much did that impact, like, my youngest daughter, who now has, like, a ton of anxiety? <laughs> mm-hmm. It kind of go back and forth and blame myself for that, but I, I really can't, because, you know, I, I probably did the best that I could during that time, and mm-hmm. she was still loved and cared for. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that's all that we can strive to do though, at the end of the day, like once you've put, you know, everything that you can into it, you know, like you've done your best to still be supportive, still be validating, still be open and honest and help that person, you know, hold that pain or, you know, help, yeah, help them hold that pain or, you know, whatever the feeling is. Um, that's, yeah, I feel like that's where we have to, like, be able to kind of take a step back and, like, take some comfort from that. Otherwise, we're just going to, like, keep holding on to it. And, right. You know, um, which I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah. Are you on social media? At, oh, well, uh, well, yeah, because you mentioned Facebook, but I guess, like, more recently, are you on social media? Uh, mm-hmm. I have, like, um, I have a personal Twitter account and a, a psychology Twitter account. Mm-hmm. I am on Instagram, but uh, it's not, I haven't really made it more of a business thing. I mean, I don't have that many pictures on it, so I could very easily transition it to, like, more of a psychology type of thing, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. I and I have a website. I need to get I need to write it down. <laughs> I can never remember if I have it right or not in my head. So No worries. Um I was just going to ask if uh what you thought about all of the anxiety cuz that for some reason anxiety and like depression seem to be more tangible, I guess, or like more easily easily understood. And so mm-hmm. I've just been seeing so many memes memes and you know like content on social media regarding anxiety and you know sometimes it's not from people who are in who are you know like licensed professionals or even like mental health um, professionals sometimes it's people who've been to therapy themselves or Mm -hmm. pick some buzzwords Um, but I but I was curious to see like what you thought about that about like the hype around anxiety. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I feel like maybe because of social media, either we're more aware of it or it creates it. So, mm. I, I mean, yeah. And we're like, I think there's the, the constant, especially I see it with my kids. They're not like on a lot of social media, but just kind of being aware of like what other kids their age are doing. And, and that causes you know anxiety because they're constantly comparing themselves and falling short. And then they just don't feel like they're good enough. And I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff wrapped. I mean, I, I guess I feel like there's hype for a good reason. Cause I, I feel like, more people are feeling that way and there could be a lot of contributing factors just like technology could be one like sometimes I wonder if the foods that we eat contribute to how we're feeling and mm-hmm. we're we're connected but we're also disconnected and I think just that lack of relational like knowing how to really connect with people makes us feel like frazzled I think and just I mean, I think there's probably some merit to to the buzz around anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of um, what I was thinking as well. Like, I'm glad that um, it's like there's more of a light that's being shown on anxiety and what it looks like, not just you know, someone is have not just if someone has panic attacks or um, has like a tightness in their chest. It's also like the irritability, um, not being able to focus and, um, you know, being, and not just like having worries, but like being worried all the time, like being preoccupied with thoughts of the past or future. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We, we've got to, I feel like we just have to keep, um, being, open and helping people normalize mental health. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I, so side story. Um, I originally wanted to call my podcast normalizing crazy. And that was considered, uh, like I ran it by um, a couple friends and they were like, Traumatizing and like triggering and um, taboos, like all all of these things. But I'm like, in some ways, obviously, like calling someone a crazy person, like we we know that that's not, um, you know, like you're not actually a crazy person. Like you're going through something and you're trying to make sense of it, and at times that can feel crazy. But I feel like in some ways we need to normalize feeling crazy talk to Courtney um because we were talking about assertiveness especially like about being women which that Mm -hmm. comes out next week but um we were talking about you know this idea that you know why do we feel like when we're setting boundaries for ourselves that we even have to explain why Mm -hmm. I was like wow you're right why do I do that why do I tell my client you know I can't meet with you at this time because I need to take a break I don't need to tell them that. I don't need to explain that. Yeah. I mean, part of that could be a societal thing. And part of it could just be our, our need to nurture and care for like, I'm caring for you by giving you this answer, but there's really no need for it, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's just how we're socialized, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes me, it really makes me stop and think. I'm like, when I, when I, um, like just in the past, you know, like 24 hours as I'm doing things for like work, um, and then like family, I'm like, I don't need to, I don't need to apologize for having boundaries. I don't need to, um, give in to like what other people want. If it's, if it's something that's going to drain me and make me like not be able to be fully present. Do you struggle with um, being assertive at all? Yes. I, I definitely <laughs> struggle with it. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. something to work on. Yeah. Um, where would you say that, um, or what are times that you've been assertive and then like didn't automatically hate it after? Because <laughs> I feel like at first you feel so uncomfortable. You're like, you almost yeah. like, want to say that I'm sorry after. And then you're like, no. <laughs> uh, probably just parenting. I mean, that there, you have to be assertive with that. And, you know, you can't apologize because you know why you're doing it. But I still haven't translated that very well to the real world yet. <laughs> so working on that. Yeah. <laughs> just having such a big gap from like, when I last worked and then like having kids, it's like, I feel like I have to work extra hard at like all of the stuff that I haven't practiced over the years. So it's like got a big learning curve there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's, that's honest. Cause I feel like a lot of times we're like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good at um, all of the things, but we're, we're not. And we do go through seasons where sometimes we're able to do, things really well and like you were saying if there's been like kind of a little bit of a gap like you know um but what is why are words so hard today um because <laughs> you were you were trying to start a family and then started your family um so trying to kind of catch up and there is a learning curve for sure I think there's a learning curve for like everything that's what I tell myself when I like am not getting it the first time. I'm like, oh, learning curve. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. We'll get it sometime. A special thank you to Danae for joining this week's conversation. You can find Danae at the Mercer Family Therapy Center in Atlanta and at Affinity Counseling Center in Duluth. And that's our show. Until the next one, be kind and be well. Thanks for listening to the Rachel Dis Therapy podcast. Connect with me on Instagram at Rachel Dis Therapy or send me an email at racheldistherapy at gmail.com. Listen to new episodes of the podcast every Wednesday, wherever you find podcasts.